Thank you. I want to uh, take a, a look at some verses from Hebrews, and uh, it's a famous chapter, as many are in Hebrews, chapter 11. I'll read some, but I want us to bear in mind that the, the letter was um, constructed, we don't know by whom, and we pretty much gather that it, it was written especially for the, the Jewish contingent of the early church, hence the name. Hebrews, and it carries many of those themes which are rooted very much into the, uh, the Old Testament and of, of the identity, but with that watershed moment of Jesus uh, catalyzing this new people of God. And as we read chapter 11, not the whole of it, but uh, it, it's, it's great, there will be many characters from what we call the Old Testament, but there's a very kind of clear sense in which he's using these illustrations of people of faith to make some really important points. Because in chapter 12, he gets to therefore, therefore, since you've surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we know that wonderful verse. And he goes on in the, the last couple of chapters of, of Hebrews to kind of encourage the people of God about being just that being the people of God. So verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteousness when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he didn't experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah was, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign land. He lived in tents and did, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past who was past a childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. 
if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so on goes the refrain, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. To the therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I wanted to, to reflect on that because I, over the last week I was uh, caused to reflect again on some of the things that cause us to be or what are the ingredients, I suppose, of an of a faithful community. If you've ever done any baking, cooking, recipes, then you know that the ingredients are quite important towards the finished product. Get one over, uh, you know, get the, 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 um, the scale wrong, so to speak. I once made something and rather than teaspoons, I put tablespoons of salt in. Get the units, it wasn't so great after all. Or you miss out that key thing, and uh, the cake doesn't rise, or it, there's something just not quite right. The reason that this prompted me is last weekend, I was with some family members, and uh, extended family, I suppose, and over the course of a Thanksgiving meal, it wasn't America, it was in Canada, one of the 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 wife of uh, one of my relatives, um, who is Chinese and has been stuck in Canada since before the pandemic because of travel restrictions. We were sitting and we were eating turkey and, and doing all those great things. And uh, over the course of the meal, things progressed onto questions of faith and belief. And this lady started to ask questions, didn't speak a whole lot of English, but with her husband and her children, sort of um, spent a lot of time near Shanghai. And she, she asked me, there are Christians in my workplace and they keep on going on about Jesus. And I've told them, I'm a Buddhist and that's fine for me. Why do they keep inviting me to things? Why do they keep going on about Jesus when I've said, I'm not really interested in Jesus. Everyone stopped chewing their turkey and <laughs> actually it was pumpkin pie by then, but looked at me and were like, okay, that's a good question. Why do you keep going on about this Jesus? When I've told you, please respect my faith. We had a great conversation and then it turned, uh, her son was there who's just gone to university and one of the courses he's having is to do with the historical Jesus, to do with ancient texts and how we know from things to be true. And he was really, really, really very interested in exploring further. I'm sure I'll have a Zoom call with him soon. But that prompted me to think, what are the ingredients? Maybe you could make the list, tick them off if you think this is a good recipe and you would like to try them, so to speak. Or maybe you think there should be other things. You could tweak the recipe. 
answers on a postcard or a recipe book. You can uh, you can set the way. But these these I guess are a, a little bit of a work in progress. But to help us think about what we are, but also I think what we are as individuals within this faithful community. So firstly, that of being missional, no surprise, and witnessing. If no one did what we're called to do, go into all the world and make disciples, if no one took that seriously, where would we be? If no one actually said, Jesus, we hear you and we will do this, very quickly, the fire of the gospel, the witnessing light of Jesus would become oh so dim. I'm sure you've heard it before. It has been said that Christianity exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. You've heard that one? Fire doesn't last long without burning. We are a confessing faith. You know that, and Philip and I uh, go on about it, and we talk about it in our vision statement as the first uh, aspect of who we are as a church together, proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today. We are missional and we are witnessing. Hearing the story of, of Naomi this morning, of uh, 2013, of being invited by someone who was courageous and said, would you like to come to this course? And in her own words saying, I came, but I virtually uttered nothing in 10 weeks apart from answering a question, how's your nan? And yet in hearing, in hearing the truth, the truth unlocked faith and she was set free. A wonderful story of grace, still a work of grace in progress, but nevertheless a living witness to the reality of Jesus in our life. Thank you, Cheryl. It has been said that Christianity exists by mission as fire exists by burning. It's who we are. This is a shameless plug. Philip, forgive me. We have Alpha in two weeks. And some great food. I wonder who's going to be there. If we are part of the faithful people of God, it's up to us. Secondly, and uh, pretty obviously, is this uh, by faith. These are in no particular order. They're no particular hierarchy. I've not got how you uh, have 500 grams of this and uh, a tablespoon of that. But I do think these are essential ingredients of the faithful community. And it is by faith. By faith in Jesus. And I've learned that over the years of uh, of following Jesus, that, that faith is often so, so, so closely linked to obedience that we can't be faithful without being obedient, and we can't be obedient without being faithful. And I found that it is at times exhilarating and at times hard. Because we, I, I step out in faith, and I'm kind of like expectant that God is going to do the thing that I'm expecting him to do straight away. And it's not always the case. 
And I kind of go, where is God in that? And yet I hear this, these wonderful central kind of chapter, a whole chapter on faith that we're privileged to, to read. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's all very esoteric and kind of headline. But it gets earthed in the individual stories of kind of pretty ordinary messed up people. I know we celebrate them and we know their names and teach them at Sunday school and, and kind of slightly whitewash them perhaps. But, but actually they were people who heard something of God, God's word, and said, I will obey that. Abraham set out from Ur in the Chaldeans, kind of way over in the, in the east, and set out on his journey, left everything that he knew because God had said, I come follow, I will give you a promised land. Again and again in the stories of Noah and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Joseph, Joseph, Joseph and Moses, truncating the faithful, uh, the people by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army marched around of Rahab, of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, again and again, faithful. Without faith, we can't please him. Isn't that astonishing in its simplicity? And the call for us to be that faithful community. Talking to my family over on the far side of the world, the same issues that we face, they face, obviously. But the same challenges of what next? Where, what about the children growing up? What's the prospect? Global warming energy crisis, politics, extremism. And yet we have this pearl of great price. One of the marks and the characteristics of the people of God, of us. Missional and witnessing faithful. And of course we need to add, add a whole dollop of love. Rick Warren, an amazing author and helped us so much in the last uh, 20, 30 years. He says, nothing sabotages a life mission of a church or of a person as quickly as wrong relationships. John Piper, God is calling us to be conduits of grace, of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. Roadways of grace. The church, uh, lovely again, as, as Naomi touched on this this morning, the church is the family that we were supposed to have, but most of us never have. We are called together, not as kind of blood relations as we describe it in human terms, but actually through the blood of Jesus, which is far more powerful if we truly believe that his blood was shed to reconcile us to God and to one another, how astonishing is that? 
that people of all races and people of all nationalities and the different uh, kind of uh, sexes and different generations and all the socioeconomic classifications, you know, when you fill in those census forms and you tick whichever you are, that the Lord brings us together into a family of love. why it's so painful when the family falls out the church is the family that we're supposed to have but but often we haven't really experienced what true that fellowship that that table fellowship that being with Jesus at the table and being fed by him we're all called to be at the supper table not having tv dinners or eat on the fly but together And there's no absentee father. Someone commented to this from Hebrews 11, 25. In relating together, as there can be no such thing as a string with only one end or a coin with only one side, so there could be no such thing as relating to God without relating to God's other children. I like that. Loving together and loving outwardly. My next ingredient I want to throw into the mix and see what comes out. What have you added? Have you got these in your mental checklist? Is to be biblical. I was asked at the dinner table, why do you believe this book? Why do you trust it? Hasn't it been changed? All that kind of thing. Again, commentator said, Someone has, uh, it's, we live in a strange world where the relativity of Einstein is considered absolute and the absolutes of the Bible are considered relative. You see, faithful belief is holding on to the scriptures of believing and living them. I don't just mean in a simplistic fundamentalist sense because that's not how this works. But we definitely have to be biblical. It is the place of authority. It is the inspiration. It is the testament about God's special revelation and his entry into the world in his son. It is the living, uh, the ongoing witness to his reality and speaks normatively about who we are. We would be at sea, bereft or Indeed, without any inspiration for our cookery. You get what I'm saying? Tony Benn, a politician, said this, A faith is something you die for. A doctrine is something you kill for. And there's every difference between the two. We are called to live this faith lovingly, missionally in loving fellowship to it to it for it to be a clarion call to be a heartbeat to be a raison d'etre if you like a bit of french thrown in to be like jesus in my conversation with my family the biggest obstacle in my conversations this week was their critique of so much of the church. Easy, I know, to make this criticism. I made it many times before I was a believer. But to say that the church does not reflect Jesus. 
doesn't look like him. And in many points, I could say, I agree. But let's, in our influence, in what we can do, be like Jesus. We're powerless to change things apart from by prayer in other parts of the world and the Spirit is at work with them. But let us be Christ-like here as people of the word. Brother Andrew, in a challenge about the scriptures, you know who he is, said too many people don't want the Bible to interfere with their Christianity. Because it's powerful and it cuts deep and it speaks into our mindsets and our attitudes and our habits and our our cultural agendas and, and what we've been taught and imbibed that this is how it is goes right to the heart of it and says, no, there's a new way of being. John Calvin, the word is not received in faith when it merely flutters in the brain, but when it is taken deep root in the heart. Why does worship so matter so much? Why do we ask our worship leaders to, f- to fill a big part of our gatherings in song and praise? Because worship is the outflow of the heart's belief. I was talking to someone, a, a worship leader who's writing a course for students, and he was wanting to, he's asked the question, again, you can tell me the answer at the end, what would be the one hymn that you think uh, every child should at least know of and the story about? And we were talking about what to put in a series of five classes for for primary school and, and secondary school ages about uh, kind of worship of the church. And we were just debating it. And I pointed out, I said, so often hymns are either written out of two reasons, songs of worship. One is either of a, a crisis or a moment where it's really difficult and the truth of God's word takes root or, or captivates someone wonderfully and they just have to write about that in some wonderful expression. Or... It seems to be that these worship songs flow out of a move, a fresh move of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When he captures hearts, when, when a love for God is rekindled, then the outflow of worship comes alive in the, in the, in the church at large. Think back to the moves of God, the charismatic renewal of the, of the 70s and 80s, and, uh, and some of those songs can be left there. But some of them, uh, they, but they were expression of just a deep, deep joy. Again and again, as God's spirit is poured out into the Wesleys of Isaac Newton as his heart was was transformed by grace. Worship flows out of a capturing, a re-engagement with Jesus through the scriptures. What else have I got on my list? To be available, I guess that's faith too, and to be spirit-filled to be spirit-filled. Philip read the scriptures this morning, to, wor- to be true worship is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We need you more, Lord. We need you more than words can say. To enable that wonderful life-giving spirit in us to see the world changed. 
I love it in our history as a people of God that as the spirit moves, the world is transformed. In education, in healthcare, in social action, in those who often are the first into the most difficult places to bring hope and life. Trouble is, in, in our day and age, Sunday schools have been co-opted into education systems and, uh, and uh, the loving care of, of people in community has been centralized in GPs and hospitals. And, and rightly so, of course, we don't want to dismantle that. But it does find that we are difficult, find it difficult to find where do we and how can we uh, be available and spirit-filled to bring that compassion, that love and the power of God to bear into the living in this dark world. And so there's a tendency that sometimes we can think we leave it to the treasury who can, who can give us loads of furlough grants and grants to support and social security and, and health care and, and other people who have a heart. But again, when we kind of let the gospel sink deep, we know that the kingdom of God, that which will endure forever, is absolutely centered around Jesus. Her Majesty's government won't be running heaven. This time, an easy joke, isn't it? <laughs> Nor the United Nations. And I bless the great work they're doing. I'm not at all kind of saying, <laughs> bring, saying they should be disbanded because they do great things. But the greatest is that of Jesus. I love it, sadly, that the churches are all about food banks in this age. Tragic, but brilliant. As Tim and uh, as I talked about, the biggest youth worker in our country is the church, churches, people of faith. As we step out into this week, let's be available. Many of us are serving in, in particular ways. Brilliant. But how are we available to, for the Lord to say, whisper into our ear, to impress upon our heart, to take a step of faith? Not to be simply traditionalists, but those by God's Spirit, with a heart that would flutteringly say, yes, here I am. My last two, and I'll be quick. Absolutely prayerful. Prayer is, is a wondrous, powerful gift. It's a wonderful expression of love. See, as we pray, as we intercede, we take that person, that circumstance, to God the Father Almighty, and say, Father, this person you love, we love, help, have mercy, intervene. In prayer, we set our posture and our attitude to listen to him. In prayer, we set our heart on saying, teach me more about who you are, of what you're like. In prayer, we allow the searchlight of the Spirit to say, let's work on this now. And my final point, 
I guess is summed up in Hebrews 11 already, but is that of being courageous? Courageous in the small and courageous in the big. Some people spell faith R-I-S-K because we're having confidence that which we can't see. And yet we are certain because we are putting our trust in him who is faithful. Martin Luther, I know I've peppered my sermon with lots of uh, great theologians without embarrassment. He once described faith as a living, daring confidence in the grace of God, so sure and certain that a man or woman would stake his life on it a thousand times. William Carey, expect great things of God and attempt great things for God. You see, the thing about courage and stepping out is in faith is, is we do it But there's all sorts of people who take notice. There's all sorts of ripple effects for when we obediently take a step of faith and people begin to wonder, to wonder why. In my previous church, I always remember... I got asked to do the funeral of a 22-year-old young guy, and it was a a tragic circumstance, and it was a difficult funeral. And afterwards, in the grief, we were having that kind of gathering afterwards of ham sandwiches and and all that. And I was talking to some of them, and I kind of said, why? Because we had no relation. No connection at all, but they asked that the funeral happen at my old church. And I said, why did you do that? No faith, obviously, in the family or the bereaved. And they said this. There's always something going on at your church. And it seems like there's life. And what they particularly noticed, and I know Phil was a pioneer of, the pioneer of this nationally and on breakfast telly we'd shown the world cup on a big screen and we put a sign out the church saying come and watch the big the world cup and for our church at the point that was quite courageous because it got all sorts of unpleasant characters coming along but we wanted to be witnesses and it was in that that somehow registered at one point and at a later point i know not why or how They came and said, help, we need you. Sometimes we don't see the fruit of our faith, like these Old Testament characters who lived and died with an expectancy. But one thing that we know, as we are faithful, as we step out courageously, lovingly, in a missional sense, in all those things that I've I've said, and to be available by the Spirit, I'm absolutely certain that that story will be noticed. Maybe not reported nationally, but I bet your bottom dollar neighbors and family it will register and that seed will be sown and the Lord will water it. What's in your recipe for the ingredients of a faithful fellowship? Let's pray.